Blog Talk Radio. Hi, I'm author and publisher Tracy L. Slatten. It's my belief that the most interesting, creative, and original voices today are heard outside of the big corporations, studios, and galleries. Individuals of courage, inspiration, and vision are seizing the opportunities to create and promote their art themselves. I'm here to support them and to bring their stories to you. On this show, I'll interview independent artists of all kinds, unusual thinkers, and even some healers about their process. How do they do it? How do they start with an idea and bring it to life in the world? This show intends to illuminate the journey. Feel free to call in to 516-453-6052 with questions or live chat with me at blogtalkradio.com slash independent artist thinkers. Great to have you with us. Hi, this is Tracy Slatten, hosting Independent Artists and Thinkers. I am so happy to welcome you to the show. We have a great show lined up for you today. I am grateful and humbled that so many people are listening to the show, both live and in the archives. I created this show to support those brave souls who are operating outside the structures of the big established corporations. As the intro to the show says, I intend to illuminate the unusual journey and to bring it to you. I'm interested in alternatives to conventional thinking and conventional answers. I'm interested in creativity, fresh ideas, unusual perspectives, originality, um, and originality. And this show aims to bring you models of people who embody those qualities. So please do call in with questions or comments to 516-453-6052. You can also live chat me at blogtalkradio.com slash independentartistthinkers. Please email me in between shows um, if you want to suggest a guest or if, you ha- um, if you'd like to ask, have me ask a question of a particular guest, you can reach me at Tracy at TracyLSlatten.com. That's T-R-A-C-I at TracyLSlatten.com. In the coming weeks, we have some great guests coming on. On Thursday, August 13th at 1 p.m., Dr. David Rico, one of my favorite authors, will be on. Dave Rico is a Jungian psychoanalyst and author, and he's, he's written some books I really love, including How to Be an Adult and The Power of Grace. Also, check him out on YouTube. He's got a great series on transference, worth watching. On Thursday, August 20th at 1 p.m., our usual time, mystery author Joy Strand will be on talking about murder, mayhem, and Silicon Valley. Very fun. So tune in. And keep checking the website, independentartistthinkers.com, and the Blog Talk Radio page to find out who will be on this show. I am delighted today to have a very special guest, Dr. Bruce Bruce Cole, a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. But in the name of ethics, before I introduce Bruce, and I'm going to apologize to Bruce for keeping him waiting for just a minute, I am offering a personal statement. I know the topics we're going to cover, and I want to state at the outset what my bias and opinions are. And this is my statement about Frank Gehry, my personal statement, my personal opinions. I am the wife of classical figurative sculptor Sabin Howard, who was courted by Frank Gehry to be the sculptor for the Eisenhower Memorial, asked to write a proposal and give ideas, flown to L.A. for a lengthy meeting with Gehry and his team, promised the gig to the tune of a verbal statement, you are the sculptor for the Eisenhower Memorial and you will start next week and then suddenly dropped. Sabin says outright, Gary stole my ideas for creating a relief that places General Eisenhower as part of his troops and at the same time at the head of his troops. He hired a less competent sculptor who does not have the ability to pull it off, end quote. This kind of dishonorable behavior and intellectual theft on Gary's part convinced me that Frank Gary is not to be trusted. I began to pay attention to the Gary Camp's arrogant shenanigans around the Eisenhower Memorial, starting with his blatantly rude and condescending disregard for the Eisenhower family's staunch opposition to his plans. Gary's ill-conceived plans call for gargantuan woven metal curtains and a tiny sculpture of the boy Ike. The curtains are ugly. 
and they reference only an elderly architect's egotistical notion of himself as a groovy postmodernist. They have nothing whatsoever to do with our beloved and plain-spoken president, statesman, and military general. It's not just the way Gary treats the Eisenhower family that's scandalous. The cost of these hideous metal curtains is astronomical, more than $100 million. Those curtains aren't in production, and yet to date, more than $40 million have disappeared into Gary's pockets, with only spin doctoring to show for it. Gary has hired a team of full-time publicists to keep the machinery of his self-aggrandizing monument going. I have written in the Huffington Post about the disappearance of this taxpayer money. $40 million is a lot of cash. I have queried high-profile media venues, trying to garner interest in some real journalism, some real investigative reporting. In this, I was aided and directed by my neighbor, the venerated and sadly recently deceased international best-selling author, Frederick Morton. He personally spoke to people at the New York Times and the NBC investigative unit. Fred was an Austrian Jew who wrote poignantly of his father's internment at Dachau. He had met and dined with Eisenhower and Mamie. He held a deep respect for President Eisenhower and felt distressed that the Eisenhower family was being disregarded and condescended to. He agreed with me that Gary's plans were inappropriate, and he felt that the vanished tens of millions of taxpayer dollars was an outrageous scandal that warranted serious investigation. Despite Fred's stature, these news outlets failed to respond. I can only surmise that these news outlets are smitten with Gary's celebrity, as were the cronies who handed him the Eisenhower Memorial in the first place, despite the fact that Gary is patently the wrong man for the job. I do intensive historical research for my historical novels. I published one novel set during World War II, and I'm still researching that period for another novel. The more research I do, the more certain I am that Eisenhower the statesman and president of simple dignity would have been horrified by the gargantuan metal drapery. Absolutely horrified. His family has spoken up in his memory and in his honor, and they deserve to be heard. In continuing to press his plans, Frank Gehry is thrusting up his middle finger, not just at the American people, but at President Eisenhower as well. I would say the very man whom the Eisenhower Memorial is supposed to honor but it is clear that Gary's plans honor only Gary and no one else. They certainly do not honor President Dwight Eisenhower. I've been told that Tom Brokaw and Bob Dole have been sucked into the slick chicanery of Gary's PR efforts. If so, then I say to Brokaw and Dole, shame on you. Pushing to get money for Gary's hideous plans would only be throwing good money after bad money, and that's a sign of rank foolishness. Gary's advanced age is the only reason to rush ahead with widely loathed plans despite obvious chicanery, massive quantities of vanished taxpayer money, and the Eisenhower family's objections. Some politicians and TV personalities who are also elderly like to pontificate that it's time to get the monument done after the 15 years of wrangling over it. To them I say, after an open competition, it only took a few years to get Myelin's breathtakingly gorgeous memorial wall done. And Lynn's memorial demonstrates the better way to move ahead, a fair and open competition, as is currently being done with the World War I memorial. So to those aging cronies and TV personalities who are smitten by Gary's celebrity, I say, don't throw good money after bad. It's time to cut bait and move on. Hold a fair, open, and blind competition. That's what would truly honor Eisenhower, a man of famed and celebrated humility. To anyone who is listening, I say, don't buy into Frank Gehry's shenanigans. President Eisenhower, his remaining family, and we, the American people, deserve better. We deserve to know about how our money is lining Gary's pockets. And we deserve a truly beautiful and magnificent Eisenhower Memorial, something on the order of the Lincoln Memorial and the Vietnam Memorial Wall. So that's my statement about the upcoming show. This is my personal opinion based on my and my family's personal experience with Frank Gehry and the research I've done into this whole subject. And I'd like to just, I'm going to read a little bit, some of the highlights for the guest, our guest bio, because I've taken up some time with my statement. And that's Dr. Bruce Cole, and he has a phenomenal bio, and I'll put up the whole thing in its, entirely, in its entirety on the Independent Artist Thinkers website. 
Dr. Bruce Cole is a senior fellow at the Ethics and Public Policy Center in Washington, D.C. He came there from the Hudson Institute in Washington, where he was a senior fellow 2011 to 2012. From 2009 to 2011, he was president and CEO of the American Revolution Center in Philadelphia. From 2001 to 2009, Cole served as the chairman of the National Endowment for the Humanities, where he managed a budget of $150 million and a staff of 170 and was responsible for awards totaling over $800 million. Appointed by President George Bush and unanimously, George W. Bush, and unanimously confirmed by the Senate in 2001 and again in 2005, Cole was the longest serving chairman of the NEH. Under Cole's leadership, the NEH launched key initiatives, including We the People, a program designed to encourage the teaching, study, and understanding of American history and culture, and the Picturing America Project, which uses great American art to teach our nation's history and culture in 80,000 schools and public libraries nationwide. Cole's connection with the endowment began when he received an NEH fellowship. He subsequently served as a panelist in NEH's peer review system and then as a member for seven years of the National Council on the Humanities, the presidentially appointed and Senate-confirmed 26-member NEH advisory board. Cole came to the endowment in December 2001 from Indiana University in Bloomington, when he, where he was Distinguished Professor of Art History and Professor of Comparative Literature. Um, in 2006, Governor Mitch Daniels awarded Cole the Sagamore of the Wabash, which recognizes individuals who have brought distinction to the state of Indiana. Born in Ohio, Cole attended Case Western Reserve University and earned a master's degree from Oberlin College and a degree from Bryn Mawr College. He is also, and a doctorate from Bryn Mawr. He's also the recipient of nine honorary doctorate degrees. From two years, for two years, he was the William E. Sweda Fellow at an institute in Florence, and I'm going to butcher the first name, so I won't. I think it's Kunstig Horst Historics. Bruce has held fellowships and grants from the Guggenheim Foundation, the American Council of Learned Societies, the Crest Foundation, the American Philosophical Society, and the Center for Medieval and Renaissance um, Studies at the University of California, L.A. He is a corresponding member of the Academia Senesi degli Intranati, the oldest learned society in Europe. He's written 14 books and numerous articles. In November 2008, President Bush awarded Dr. Cole the Presidential Citizens Medal, quote, for his work to strengthen our national memory and ensure that our country's heritage is passed on to future generations. The medal is one of the highest honors the president can confer upon a civilian, second only to the Presidential Medal of Freedom. Earlier in 2008, Cole was decorated Knight of the Grand Cross, the highest honor of the Republic of Italy. So after that incredibly wonderful and awe-inspiring bio, Bruce, are you there? Bruce? Yes, well, it, Tracy, it's, it's great to be on your show. Uh, Thank you so uh, much for coming, and I'm, I'm sorry to keep you waiting. That's fine. I, I mean, I applaud your introductory statement. I, gosh, I feel I, can, I hope I can add something to it. Um, it was really terrific. Well, well I, I felt... With the, this, this, go ahead. Yes, go ahead. Well, I just felt like, you know, no, you, people you are listening... Heard. If people are listening, they should know what my bias is. They should know right up front. So I just didn't want to, you know, mislead anyone. I have a distinct um, idea about what's going on, and I wanted everyone to know up front that I've had these experiences and this is my take. But um, And usually, Bruce, I ask guests at the beginning to talk about how they get started, um, and you're incredibly distinguished, but I think we should plunge right in. Can you give us some background on the Eisenhower Memorial and how you got involved in it? You call it a classic Washington boondoggle sure. in your wonderful piece on Standpoint. Can you explain it? So just start with how you got involved and just go. Things right off the bat before I get to that. Uh, I have a disclaimer. I am a member of the Eisenhower Memorial Commission. I was appointed about two years ago by President Obama. And the commission is made up of four senators, four representatives, and four citizens members. So I'm one of them. I also happen to be the only commissioner who disagrees strongly with what's going on and with the Gary plan. The second thing is that if your readers, uh, I'm sorry, if your listeners want to uh, really get up to speed and get the most comprehensive idea about what's going on, they um, need to go to www.civicart, one word, dot org is www.civicart 
org, and that is the website of the Civic Arts National Civic Arts Society. And the Civic Art National Civic Arts Society started off people. Their idea was to um, try to ensure that um, fitting and proper civic buildings and monuments were built, and then they took up the our memorial. And it's kind of a David and Goliath story. Uh, just a couple of people here in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere really decided, you know, much as you said, that this was really not proper and have been fighting this battle for years now and have really made tremendous inroads. Um, and on that website, uh, your listeners will find scores of articles from the entire spectrum of op-eds and uh, editorials and other kinds of publications uh, against the Gary design for the memorial. Uh, I think the New Yorker said it best. They said, this is a bipartisan issue. Everyone hates it. It's widely loathed. That's a very good resource. And I would... Uh, also urge your listeners after they've agree with what I say to call their congressman or their senator and express their concern about what's gone on. So how did I get into this? I, as, as, uh, as you know from my background, uh, I uh, studied art history and I've been interested in monuments for a long, long time. And when I first read about the plans and saw the design for the Gary Memorial, I was alarmed. And just let me sketch out what it is. It's uh, on a four-acre site uh, in Washington right off the mall. It's uh, four acres in size. It has eighty foot, six 80-foot columns, uh, a tapestry, uh, which is a kind of aluminum woven tapestry, and in the center of this is, uh, as Tracy said, a couple of um, reliefs of of Eisenhower and his advisor and Eisenhower before D-Day. And then, in the middle of that, perched on a wall, is a little tiny uh, statue of Eisenhower as a youth. And so, what what Gary has done with this memorial is really de-emphasized Ike. Ike is there in this hodgepodge. But this gigantic acreage and this um, these massive columns and extensive tapestry are really about Gary. They're not about they're not about Ike. I mean that's this is not really a monument to Ike, it's really a monument to Gary. And about Ike and you think about Ike's character um, not only, uh, you know, was he a great soldier and he um, led um, the D-Day invasion, um, he was also president of the United States. But through all this, he retained a kind of modesty, you know, pretty much from his uh, Kansas roots. I mean, he grew up as, um, you know, a hardworking family, didn't have a lot of money. And he retained all through this a kind of modesty. Uh, and um, humility, and if you if you go to um, the Eisenhower uh, Memorial, um, the Eisenhower Library, and see where he is buried, uh, it's a very small little chapel, and that's how he wanted, it, and that's how Mamie wanted it, his wife, and so represent him uh, in this kind of hodgepodge is, I think, very inappropriate, and and. A great monument is an exclamation point. It's not a question mark. And Gary, well, when you memorials, you know, when you mark. look at when you look at like the Lincoln Memorial, that one great sculpture, you you immediately sense the majesty, but also the sheer weight of gravity that Lincoln felt. And when you look at the memorial wall, Mylan's beautiful memorial wall you get this sense of the stark loss that we as a nation endured. And when I've looked at the designs for the Gary Memorial, 
you know, and I call it the Gary Memorial. I don't can't call it the Eisenhower Memorial because it has nothing to do with Eisenhower. It is only about Gary. Those, you know, you can't call those tapestries. That's too upscale a word for these woven fabric, these woven metal curtains. They're giant draperies, and they don't say anything about Eisenhower. They say something about Frank Gehry's desire, his narcissistic desire to be seen as this groundbreaking postmodernist. And I, I just, I'm appalled. And Fred Morton, my neighbor, who had had dinner with Mamie and Eisenhower, um, he, when he saw them, he was appalled because the man was very, you know, humble and plain spoken and modest, as you said. To, um, you're, you're right. If you look and think about the Lincoln Memorial, you ascend these flight of stairs, you move upwards, and then in through this colonnade, you see this great statue of Lincoln. It instills a sense of awe and monumentality, and you get a sense of character, and it's an exclamation point. The same thing is true with the Jefferson Memorial and also with Maya Lynn and Maya Lynn, the Stark uh, Memorial to loss. It doesn't need any words. And I, as, as you said, you know, I'm very interested in the transmission of American history. Uh, in a hundred years, very few people are going to know anything about, about Ike. And what that monument needs to do is give them a sense of who he was and his gravity and his accomplishment. And the 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 the, the, uh, the memorial, uh, as you say, the Gary Memorial is going to be accompanied with a e memorial, which costs something like two million dollars. Well, if you need an e memorial to explain a memorial, then that shows that something is decidedly wrong. And memorial has to speak uh, for itself. And one of the problems here is the way this whole thing came about. Um, it was, you talked about Maya Lin and the, and the competition. There's a World War I memorial planned for the anniversary, the 100th anniversary of our entry into the into World War One for, for Washington. And I think the people who are planning that really took a lesson uh, about what not to do from from the Eisenhower Memorial. It's open competition with the King Memorial. They got over Martin Luther King got over fifteen hundred, I believe, submissions. What the uh, Eisenhower and there's a website. For the, yes, there, there's what, a website. There's, yes, People can website. see them. There's a, there's complete. Um, transparency. So there's a website yes, where you can open, go look at all the submissions. There's no little backroom dealings of Rocco Siciliano shaking Gary's hand behind the scenes and the American public not getting a vote. People can go and look online and see all the submissions to the World War One Memorial. Yeah, absolutely. And the World War Can you talk I'm about the backroom dealings? Well, I think what I like to talk about is how you get a monument or a memorial. I don't think uh, what I like about the World War uh, One memorial and the Myelin is this was a democratic process. And how do you get a memorial on the mall? Why should it be that there's a small group of people, some of them elected, some of them appointed, who make this decision for the American people? And People are saying, you know, you need to hurry up and get this done. Well, a memorial is not only for the people who are living. A memorial is for rising grandkids of these people who are living and their great-grandkids. So it has to be a democratic process. And what what bothers me about the way the Eisenhower Memorial is is that it's, you know, it's done by I'm one of them. I mean, I did not, first of all, you know, I have to say right away, it had nothing to do with the plans. I came on after all this was already set in stone. But I think we should question about how we get memorials on the the mall, which is really America's sacred uh, civic uh, space. And should this be done by uh, a small commission who has all the power, or should it be much more democratic process open to everyone? And I think the latter is the way to go. Well, how has it been 
that the widespread loathing for Frank Gehry's ugly plans and the family's outright opposition has been so disregarded? Well, this is this is you know, getting back to what I was just saying. Uh, the the power for this decisions of this memorial are in the hands of the commission, and the commission can pretty much do what it wants. But the uh, the memorial has to be funded. So there's a difference between what the commission wants and what actually gets done. And in the 2016, 2016 budget that was uh, drawn up a half a ago, in the House, in the House Appropriations Committee, there is um, zero money for the memorial. Zero. And there's strong language that says, that it needs to be restarted and there needs to be another competition and there needs to be another staff and that the Eisenhower family must be consulted. Then in the Senate, uh, there's also very strong language talking about how the really um, consulted and how the Eisenhower family needs to be consulted. So there is no, there's a million dollars for um, operations, and that's it. And you have to realize that the Eisenhower Memorial has a staff of nine full-time people who are working in the K Street office and have been doing that for years and years and years. And so there isn't any money, really, or very little about it in the budget, but then now there's a big push on to get this through in Congress, so they're the opponents and the proponents. But really, there is such widespread opposition to this. It's everywhere, and I don't think that the commission has been open enough in its entire history or democratic enough to take in the views of opposition, and I think things are always strengthened uh, when you do that, but I think early on it was decided that Gary would be the architect, and there there was no going back on that. And so this is now 16 years in the making, 16 years. And uh, something like $40 million, as you said, has been expended. Gary has been paid the construction drawings before they even had the first uh, approval. How can we pay someone for a national monument before there's been an approval? I don't understand. And why couldn't Fred Morton and I get the media interested? Everyone just, no one cares that Gary's absconding with taxpayer money? Well, I think the best thing to do is to get people to see what it actually is. Uh, you know, this is sort of slightly similar situation in New York with the New York Public Library uh, and uh, the design, Foster design, which would have ripped out all the stacks and put in this kind of postmodern uh, uh, circulating library, which would have clashed and really, I think, and defaced the wonderful Carrier and Hastings building on Fifth Avenue. And that was defeated. But that was defeated because I think there were enough people in New York who felt very strongly about already a pre-existing institution, and they really mounted a campaign in the the press and like to really defeat that. It's much more difficult because the Eisenhower Memorial is not an institution. There aren't that except from the Civic Art Society, there aren't really those groups who have been mobilized to do something about it, and that's that's really too bad. So this taxpayer, forty more than $40 million of taxpayer money has vanished, and the media doesn't care because the Eisenhower Memorial hasn't been built yet. So they're going to wait until these ghastly metal drapery things that dwarf the sculptures of Eisenhower are hanging, and they're absolutely hideous, and they deface Washington, D.C., and then they're going to try to launch some sort of investigation? Or we're just going to live with the extreme well, there, ugliness? There was a really, there's a very interesting, there is an investigation that your listeners can find out. It's just called the Five Star Folly. It was uh, an investigation done by a subcommittee in the House, which investigated the funding of the Eisenhower Memorial and came to the conclusions that there were really 
issues of uh, some some serious financial issues. I can't summarize it, but if your listener just type in five star file U.S. Congress, it's a 73 page report, uh, very detailed with lots of graphs and and the like. But it keeps rolling along, and again, I get back to the fact that this is not really been a democratic process. And I think there are lessons to be learned from this. Um, of course, it's not at all sure that the memorial will be built. This is really a very critical time because there is literally no money for it in in the budget. But uh, the Eisenhower Memorial uh, has the commission has mobilized people uh, to try to make sure that some money gets in and maybe in the omnibus bill. Uh, so we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, it is possible that nothing will happen and then uh, there won't be any funding. Or it is possible that, uh, you know, people will lobby us to put in money to um, to fund it. The budget request for the Eisenhower Memorial was $70 million, $68 million for construction, which would have been um, enough money to build it, and then $2 million just for staff operations. Actually, when the budget was finished, they got 1.4% of that amount. So Congress has spoken, but you know that's not the last word because it's got to go through this whole budget process, and nobody knows what will, what will happen. But I think there are lessons to learn from this, lessons about democracy and lessons about openness and lessons about competition the, and lessons about public input. And you really can't do these monuments, which are meant for the American people and generations of American people, uh, by uh, you know closed backroom deals, and so I think there's well, two issues. It's the it's it's the it's the it's the way these things get done, especially the Eisenhower Memorial, and it's and it's the 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 democratic the, the democratic process that uh, that needs to be that needs to be strengthened here. So um, I know in one of your articles, I think it was the wonderful piece and standpoint, um, but it might have been another one. You were talking about Rocco Siciliano channeling Ike and that he felt that he knew Ike so much better than the Eisenhower family that his um, he should – his thoughts about having Gary do it, and of course he's an old crony and friend of Gary's, that that should outweigh what the Eisenhowers actually think because Siciliano's channeling Ike. So I just wonder, can you channel anyone else? My dad is dead. Maybe we could get Siciliano to give me a message from my dad. You have to, the Eisenhower family has been you know, very careful and very sober in their opposition to this. Susan Eisenhower testified in in a, in a hearing, uh, and expressed the family's uh, opposition. Uh, David was on the memorial. David Eisenhower was on the memorial commission. I replaced him. Uh, he's uh, also expressed doubts about it, as every uh, as the family has. And so, why is Mr. Siciliano's the, certainty that Ike would like that more important than the actual Eisenhower's opposition? And I just just would add that Ike's son, John, General John Eisenhower, also came out strongly in opposition to the memorial. Now, I don't think, and the Eisenhowers, I think, I can't speak for them, but I think they would also say, look, we don't dictate, you know, what this is going to be. It's not our, our right, I think, to decide what the memorial is going to be, but we think we should be heard. And they haven't been heard, and the 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 I think that that is uh, one of the issues here. And it's true, uh, Rocco Siciliano, who was the former chairman, he's still on the commission. He was a aide in uh, one of the Eisenhower uh, administrations, um, 
has said pretty much, you know, that that he feels that he knew, he knows what Ike would want. Well, knows what Ike would want, but I think we can have a reasonable idea if we, you know, examine Ike's character and we talk about the humility and honesty uh, that that you know permeated um, his life and and his character and and his acts. I I think, and I you know, this is just my you know, I think somewhat informed speculation that he would be horrified by this. And oh, I think it I as it, I it, you it know, as wrong. I said in my statement, I I'm doing a tremendous amount of research into that time period, you know, the 30s, 40s and early 50s because of two novels, one that's already come out and another novel I'm working on. And the more I read about Eisenhower and read what people say about him and so forth, I think he'd be I think he would be appalled and horrified and truly um, taken aback by the monstrosity of those ugly, ghastly curtains that Gary's trying to foist on the American people. And I first got interested, I've written two Huffington Post articles about this five-star folly, and I first got interested when I saw this incredibly condescending comment about the Eisenhowers and they've behaved from everything I can see from the research I've done online and reading articles and talking to people. They've behaved with dignity befitting their station. And um, and yet there's one spin-doctored P- announcement after another just putting them down as if their feelings don't matter. And I think they speak in honor of and in the memory of and for Eisenhower. Yes, There's family. Very, I think they've been very dignified uh, about all this. They've been put in a tough situation. But there's one other issue I want to bring up, and that that's a Gary issue, and that you know Gary has made his uh, his persona and his architecture, and uh, it's a, he's a kind of bad boy. He's an eighty he's an eighty six year old bad boy, and I don't care what he builds anywhere. I mean, uh, uh, Bilbao or the Disney Concert Center. I mean that that doesn't interest me. I'm not a fan, but when you bring that kind of architecture and you bring that kind of attitude, which is a kind of postmodernism, to the mall, then that's another issue. Uh, the mall uh, has a certain kind of architecture, there's a certain kind of dignity, it kind of has a certain kind of solemnity. And they're rightly so. But then to have these enormous, they're not even columns, they're piers. Someone has said they look like supports for highway underpasses. Oh, they uh, look like smokestacks smokestacks or something to me. What do they have to do with Eisenhower? Nothing. They have nothing to do with Eisenhower. No, no, nothing. Nothing. And two of them uh, are disassociated. Those really look like smokestacks. The others hold up this kind of ersatz tapestry that you were uh, talking about. But it is so out of character uh, in, in the mall. And I think one of the saddest things is that it was approved by the Commission on Fine Arts. And uh, the Commission on Fine Arts has to approve sort of the artistic character of anything that's going to go on the mall. And that really saddens me, that people who are appointed, again, not not democratically elected or not... Um, you know they are appointed. Uh, would would it okay this? And as the, the chairman of the well, they, they have a public trust. Is, is, they have a public trust if they're appointed is, to that. They have a public trust, and they're letting it down. Uh, yes, I agree. That's a, well put, and that that saddens me too. So the whole process of getting this thing through is undemocratic and I think there should be some way like in the Martin Luther King Memorial or the Maya Lin Memorial or the proposed Second World Memorial that the American people who this is really for have a voice and so this I think should really be rethought. I don't have any ready answers to what what's going to happen. And I want to add one other thing the memorial cast the opponents of the memorial as being people who don't want any memorial and that is categorically false. We all want a memorial. We all uh, think that Ike 
should be memorialized because of its importance. But we don't want a memorial that's a monument to Gary. And there is enough money in the budget to uh, build something on this spot where it's already already approved that would be dignified. I'm, I can't say what it's going to be. It could be a beautiful statue. It could be a statue uh, with reliefs. It could be a, a small structure, but something fitting and proper for for right. And gauge of how this is not being accepted by the American people is the fundraising. The 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 fundraising firm that has been contracted by the memorial and paid. $1.5 million has raised uh, $450,000, $450,000, and one, uh, $300,000 from one donor. Although recently the government of, Ta- of uh, Taiwan has given a million dollars for the memorial. I'm not sure why that happened, but even. Maybe even they're with impressed money, with Gary's celebrity. Million, Maybe maybe one million four hundred and fifty thousand dollars has been raised for a monument that will cost over a hundred and forty million dollars and on which forty million dollars has already been spent. So there is no appetite out there among the American people for private fundraising, as we can see from this record. And remember, this is the sixteenth year uh, of this of this uh, of this effort. Well, if you go to the World War I Memorial website, people are leaving comments. You can see all the submissions, and people leave comments. It's, this is really cool. This is so much more of a democratic process. This gets the American public involved. I mean, so you have, you know, all of these entries that people can scroll through, look at, and comment on. And this is such a cool, you know, if you're using e-resources in the Internet, you shouldn't have to use it to explain, you know, excuse me, giant metal curtains. But you should be able to do it to put up all the entries so that people can see and say, I like this one, I don't like this one, this is why I like this one, this one's okay. You know, it's just so cool. It's so much more interesting than backroom deals, cronyism, self-aggrandizement, you know, and sneaky done deals, that kind of thing. It was for the... Martin Luther King Memorial, if I remember correctly, they had 1,500 submissions, and they put them all up. They had to use the, I think it was the Verizon Center here, and people could come in, and they could look at them, and this is an open process. And the people who this is going to be for get a say. And there's another thing about Gary and the architects, uh, like Foster, Norman, Norman Foster, and uh, others. They... People, the Eisenhower Commission and the senators and uh, citizen members, you know, they're very smart people. I mean, they're accomplished people. They've done a lot. But what really is their expertise, their aesthetic expertise or their um, knowledge of monuments and the like? And so I think that ultimately that is not, and they are the ultimate decision-makers, I mean, they will say that they have been informed along the way a couple of stages by other input. The GSA uh, ran the competition, and they had some experts look at it, and they didn't really didn't like it very much. But ultimately, it got picked. Uh, well, I should say the process is, for the Eisenhower Memorial, very different from the Vietnam or the King or the proposed World War One memorial, instead of asking for designs, okay, in the way that these other memorials did, they said, people, send us your design. So an unknown, and then relatively unknown, Myelin could send in a design that got picked. What happened with the Eisenhower Memorial is they asked for architect's, architects portfolios. Well, I mean, you're not going to get a fledgling Myelin you're going to get established architects with big portfolios and very impressive commissions and star architects like Frank Gehry. And so figure it out. 
that really leaves a lot of creative people with lesser reputations out. And that's so you've already eliminated by doing that process uh, hundreds of who would have a lot to say in this design process. Unfortunately, that's not what's been happening in World War One, more which I said is profiting from what happened with the Eisenhower. Well, so what's the next step for those of us in opposition to the Gary plans, which would deface our sacred national space? What can we do? Make make your voices heard. Make your voice right to your newspapers. Try to do op-eds. Congressmen, call your senator's office, call your uh, representative's office, because they're the people who are going to make the final decision as to whether to take your money, your taxpayers' money, and, and fund the Gary design or the Gary memorial, as you say. Those are the people who have the ultimate decision. So that's that's what's got to be done. And that's what the National well, you know, Society has been doing so well. Fred, Fred Morton and I, and Fred is of that generation, as I said, an Austrian Jew who wrote very movingly of his father's internment in Dachau. And um, Fred was a beloved uh, around-the-world author and novelist and writer and um, very, you know, great stature. He talked directly to people at the New York Times, and we just could not get anything. And I think someone of his stature deserves, you know, at least a second look. He was horrified. Fred was horrified by what is going on. He's of that generation. He had had dinner with Eisenhower and with Mamie. And, you know, and I got him involved after the New York Times published this really smarmy op-ed piece, putting down everyone who doesn't like Gary's design as neoclassicists, you know, benighted neoclassicists. But I don't think that the only people who dislike Gary's atrocity are neoclassicists. I think they're just people who look with their eyes. Absolutely. Well, that's well said. But the thing is that nobody has saying, I mean, I think it – it's it's wrong to say that that's exactly how the opponents have been classified. You know, they're architectural knuckle-draggers. They are just one marble columns and pediments. I don't. I, I don't know exactly what it's going to look like, but I want something that's fitting and proper and modest. You know, and dignified. And dignified. and dignified. Those giant metal curtains are not dignified. dignified. They are ugly. They are they are chic. They are hip. They are postmodern. And that's where you have uh, kind of you know, postmodern architectural elite. Uh, not many of them, you know, plumping for for Gary because Gary is a superstar. And uh, be it to be associated with Gary gives you a certain kind of cultural cachet, I think. And so it's it's this is a really a crucial time is a time to really um make your feelings known and it's really interesting uh, when the uh, proponents of the memorial uh, sort of advertise it they never show the design and i think that's that's telling because i think people are sensitive well, well- Show it to them. Bruce, if they showed the design, if they show, when I printed out the design and gave it to Fred, he was like, "You've got to be kidding me! If you show people the design, they're horrified. It's ugly. It's absolutely ghastly." You know, and Fred was of the. Yeah, well, Fred was of the kind of the generation and the background where he was very open and receptive to postmodernism. But when I printed out the plans and gave it to him. You know, it didn't fly. That's because these plans are ghastly, and they are being propelled ahead by Gary's celebrity. And it's like he's sticking his middle finger up at the American public and at President Eisenhower. Absolutely. And the thing is that if it gets funded, because it's on the mall, it will be there forever. And... Those people who made it possible will be, will be responsible. 
uh, for that. Well, a lot of them will be dead soon, too, because so many of these people, you know, Siciliano, he's not that young, right? I, I think he's 94. I, I, uh, has been out there recently saying that it's got to get done. And I respect Senator Dole, and he was a, a war hero. He's done a lot for veterans. He was, you know, very uh, much part of the World War II memorial, which honors World War II veterans. But he's been saying, you know, he wants to see it done in his lifetime. He's 90. In his 90s, I think he may be 92. And that's great. But this is not only for World War II veterans, as as, uh, revered as they should be. It's for their kids and their kids' kids and their kids' kids going on rising generations. And I don't think after 16 years as they've been out of this person, we've got to get it, we've got to get it done. Well, we'll throw, uh, you know, all that money will be wasted. But I think don't throw good money after bad money. Already $40 million uh, has been been, uh, spent, and the American people have not liked this. So, um, why throw good money after bad? That's what I think. Well, and so I, I looked at, if you look at the Vietnam right Memorial, now. if you look at the Vietnam Memorial, it did not take that long to get to break ground from the time the competition opened till the time they broke ground for the Vietnam War Memorial. Um, it doesn't have to take that long. What we need is someone to decisively say, yes, we care about the beauty and dignity of the National Mall. We care about the dignity of Eisenhower and his family. Yes, we're going to scrap this hideous design and start over, and we're going to have a fair, open, blind competition. And once those proposals are submitted, we're going to post them online for the American public to comment on, because the Eisenhower Memorial isn't just for Bob Dole and Frank Gehry. It's also for all the American people and their children and their grandchildren, and it is for the dignity and grace of the of the United States of America. I really can't. Uh, that's that's it. That's it. That uh, and it's true. You know, when the Mylin Memorial was being done, there was a lot of controversy. People said, "Well, you know, this is really." Uh, not proper, you know. This is uh, and and but you know that is that is out of way because no matter what you think of the memorial, it is incredibly moving. Uh, it is a well done memorial, and it in the smallest, you know, and in, in most concise way. I mean, I don't I mean you know, I mean sparingly, austerely. It really tells you something, and that's why it's so. Popular, and that's why people, not only veterans, are drawn to it. It's a powerful monument, just like the Lincoln Memorial or the the Jefferson Memorial as well, which we haven't really talked about. You know, a pollinated space. You walk in, figure of Jefferson, uh, and all that is really something that Frank Gehry can abide. I think he really wants to cut Eisenhower down uh, to size and really substitute his own ego, his own ego for it. And, you know, he's a famous architect. I mean, I'm sure that um, he himself vindicated or um, not bothered by this, but that's not the way a lot of people think. Well, tell us what else you have coming up. We have about six minutes left to our show, and what do you have coming Uh, up? Are you going to write more articles about this? Are you speaking anywhere else? You know, where else can we find no, you? I'm, uh, I'm not. I, I'm going to do another. I'm going to do another um, article on it. Well, I have something that's going to be forthcoming in the next issue of the New Criterion. It's just a, it's kind of update. It, pretty much what I've been talking to you about about what's happening and where we are now, or at least since the budget has been done. But I want to see what's going to happen now because should know well it's so hard to predict with the budget um, but we shouldn't when the next budget is formulated if one ever is indication of what 
is going to happen with the funding. And that's where it all is right now. There'll probably be an omnibus bill. And what everyone will be very eager to see if there's any money for the Eisenhower uh, Memorial. Now, recently, there's an article in the Washington Post that said that they've kind of changed tactics. Um, I'm not kept informed of any of this. Uh, that how they're going to go um, for, uh, I think it was uh, $24 million uh, to begin construction. But this is something that's very interesting because there is something called the Commemorative Works Act. I don't want to get too far in the weeds, but this is important. And the Commemorative Works Act says that you cannot begin building anything to have all the money in place on the mall. And the reason for that, or near the mall, and the reason for that is the Washington Memorial, or the Washington Monument, you know, which started and then stopped and then started again with a different kind of stone, or so I've heard. But anyway, there is this commemorative axe, um, memorial axe. And what I think that, and when this the legislation for the Eisenhower Memorial was originally written, there was a waiver from this. So in other words, it was kind of pay as you go or build as you go. As they got money, they could they could build. But I think it was two years ago that waiver uh, was removed. So it is now that you have to have all the money in place. I think that, the, uh, you know, I just read this in the paper, so um, I can't have any, I don't have any real insight on this. I think the thing now is doing away with the waiver. And getting a smaller amount of money to be more palatable, probably to over people on the hill, and then breaking ground, and then going for successive installments of money. If that's the case, once you break ground, it's going to go up. There's no question. No federal project, once ground is broken that I know of, isn't built. So that's another sort of clear and present danger. Whether the waiver. Uh, could be reinstated, and therefore, with a smaller money, amount, amount of money, building could be getting begun. Begin. So I don't know, but this is a very critical point now to see what's going to happen in the budget. I think everything is coming down to the budget, whether there's any money in, in it, whether it be 70 million in it for their, their budget, whether it be 24 million <clears throat> uh, with a reinstated waiver. I don't really, I don't really know. So we should uh, call in. But frankly, I'm not. So we should. We just have a couple minutes left. So we should call and write our senators and congressmen, express our concerns, write up ed pieces. You know, I'm hosting Blog Talk Radio. I'm writing Huffington Post articles. And we should check www.civicart.org, C-I-V-I-C-A-R-T.org. Right. Right. And you have an article right. coming right. out in the new Criterion. And what else, any last right, words yes. you want to tell us about where we can go, Bruce, and where my yes, listeners I, can find out more about yes. you? Because we didn't Senator, even get to talk about you, and you're amazing. Uh, this is much more important. <clears throat> right, Senator Roberts. Senator Roberts, a Republican from Kansas, is now the chairman of the commission. So I would think that there would be a very good place to address any letters of concern. And we should, and people can go to newcriterion.org to see one of your past articles and a, com- and a forthcoming article. Right, 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 right. So people should go to civicart.org, write to Senator Roberts from Kansas, and um, express their concern, and go to the new criterion. So Bruce, thank you for being right. on. And, and, I really and, appreciate. And call their congressmen, call their congressmen and their senators, and write them. Well, thank you so much, Bruce. You're okay. Thank you, Tracy. Thank you so much. I really appreciate. And to all my listeners, please go to. Thank you for joining us. Please go to civicart.org and the new criterion to see Bruce's article. And please come back next week at our regular time, Thursday at one, Thursday, August thirteenth at one, for Dr. David Rico, a union psychoanalyst and author of some wonderful books. Thanks again. See you next week. Thanks, Tracy. Okay. Bye.
This has been Tracy L. Slatten on the Independent Artists and Thinkers Network. Thanks for joining us. Come back next week.